Do you ever wonder where your meat comes from? Today, over 80% of beef comes from industrialized processes and companies don't want you to know the source. Now we have a company that cares about where your beef is coming from. They're called CrowdCow. Visit crowdcow.com slash show to learn how they do things differently. They give you full transparency into the independent farms that they work with and whether you're looking for quality grass-fed beef or luxurious Japanese Wagyu, CrowdCow is the craft meat marketplace. Food transparency is the wave of the future and it gives consumers access to both flavor and choice. We no longer have to put up with CAFO beef and industrialized agriculture. It just doesn't have to be that way anymore. Again, they're called CrowdCow and they source the best quality steaks that you can't get anywhere else in the world. Visit crowdcow.com slash show and they'll give you $25 off of your first order. Be informed. Know the source. Eat better meat. CrowdCow. Good news, low-carb, ketogenic, real food fans. A real good foods company is now in all U.S. Walmart stores. They have enchiladas, poppers, cauliflower crust pizzas, mini pizza bites, and the chicken crust pizzas in 3,500 Walmart stores. Real Good Foods pizzas are grain-free, gluten-free, and of course, low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic. This is real food, and now it's available at your local Walmart. Get exclusive offers from Real Good Foods by texting RGF to 474747, and be sure to visit realgoodfoods.com to learn more about Real Good Foods' ketogenic line of products. Real Good Foods. This show is changing lives. We talking about your diet, trying to get you feeling bright. Cut up them avocados, fry some eggs. Time to explore the longest running health podcast, hosted by Jimmy Moore. Time to give up the crappy garbage. We're getting into ketosis. Every day is a new step to your goal. Yeah, you're getting closer. Motivated and focused. Don't stop, just go. Time to get inspiration from the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. Hey, the Living Low Carb Show.com. Hey, hey guys, we're back here on the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. And today I'm very privileged to welcome to the podcast a gentleman by the name of Joe Heitzeberg. He's the CEO and co-founder of Crowd Cow. Crowd Cow's mission is to help people discover and access the highest quality craft meats and to bring together people such as farmers and consumers, families and friends. And prior to uh, CrowdCal, he co-founded and was the president of Madrona Venture Labs, the in-house startup incubator uh, of Madrona Venture Group, which produced venture-backed high-tech startups, including Mighty Al and Reply Yes. In other words, he's got some background here, you guys. Uh, before that, he was the co-founder and CEO of Media Piston and Snapvine. He was raised in Seattle, graduated from the University of Washington with an MBA from MIT. So you know your stuff, Joe. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, so you got into the business of food, uh, which kind of ventures into this category of what I talk about here on this show quite a bit is the relationship of food and how it relates to your health. Talk about that journey from going kind of from tech startups now to a food business. Yeah, it really was a, a I got into the food first, really. It was, uh, you know, I had a friend actually who was working uh, with me at the, uh, the venture labs, um, or working on all these high tech company ideas for like security camera software and AI supported, um, crowd, crowd, uh, uh, crowd labor systems for mobile phones, all this wonderful tech, uh, ideas. But he came to work one day my friend, um, and he was really excited. I was like, what is it? And he said, um, oh, I'm getting my cow on Friday. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he was kind of bragging about how great this meat was that he was getting yes. on Friday. The whole cow, whole cow worth of beef that tastes incredible. You know, and he talked about this little farmer on Whidbey Island and how amazing they were as people, how they cared about the animal and how it was treated, how they cared about the health of the meat and the food quality and the taste, the environment, their family, the community. And how he knew them and had that connection. Yes. And he was just overflowing with with excitement. And I was like, well, man, that sounds amazing. Uh, can I have some? And and he wouldn't share any. So it was like, <laughs> um, 
you know, well, t- tell me, tell me how I'd get it. And, not such you know, a good just friend, fr- is he, if he's not sharing his yeah. cat with you? Well, I think it was, you know, he waited so long and he already yeah. had a, a bunch of friends and neighbors that he would split it with. Right. So they would have a, he had a party. So he, he had have, a CSA he in his own little community. And yeah, in his own kitchen, you know, they would come over, you know, they come over on a Friday night once, once the meat arrives and they would ground rob and, you yes. know, you take the tri-tip, I'll take the skirt steak. Yes. And, and he'd been doing it for years and I just felt tremendous envy, you know, <laughs> that well, why am I not part of that? Yes. I didn't even know that existed, that incredible deeper connection you've got to the, where it comes from Yes, and your and how much better it tastes. And I was asking him, is it really better than... You know, I had named a steakhouse that, that was nearby. I named restaurants that we both knew. Um, is it better than the grocery store? He's just laughing in my face. Oh, my gosh. So much better. Just to wait. I really needed to have it. So I asked him, you know, well, to walk me through, you know, can you introduce me to the farm? You know, that was my first question. And he said, well, you're too late. They only slaughter once a year. You know, and I was just like, oh, at every step, I've, I've missed out on something. <laughs> Day late, dollar I, short. I, I can't. You know, it's, it's always very frustrating when you're like, I want this thing that you have. I'm willing to pay for it. And I can't. You just, I cannot get it. This, this is too hard. You know, when I asked him how he found the farm, he couldn't remember. When I went on Google to find farms near me, you know, the, the information you, that surfaces on, on Google is, is horrific. Yeah. You can't find farms. If they've got web pages, but, you know, many we have almost 100 farms on our network here in the United States on CrowdCow now where you can literally buy a single steak if you wanted to um, and wow. know the name of the farm, what breed it is, how it was raised, what it ate, what it, where it was raised. Um, the name of the farmer will be on the pack of meat, that I level of that. transparency. And, um, but many of them don't even have websites, you know, or they have websites <laughs> that are outdated. You know, I, I read your story when you got into this in 2005 and it was easy, quote unquote, to start a website and a blog. And it is quote unquote easy, but it is a lot of work. Yes. And um, farms have got a full-time job going on raising these these beautiful animals. That's right. And and the grass that they eat and taking care of the land and the community and, you know, the, the people who are involved in, in the farming and the operations. And it's as a full-time job and then the weather changes and something happens and a flood or, a, you know, a snowstorm and they've got all hands on deck. It's, it's a very, yeah. very difficult uh, full-time obsession, you know, that each one of these little farms has. And so – to get online and, and try to tell their story and have a website, let alone what they're raising is an animal, not a steak. Yes. So there's a whole supply chain, you know, in terms of the butcher that has to be in, in place, freezing it under USDA for safety, getting it shipped in boxes and so forth that they just can't do. So what, what I found was um, it was hard as an individual consumer to bridge that gap because that gap is enormous, all that stuff in the middle. And so, we just we didn't start the company to go after that as a business opportunity, but it was really like, well, I'm an entrepreneur. This can't be that hard. Yeah. Let's figure out how to get our. I want the beef that he has and that connection. Let's go figure it out. And and that led to just a series of uh, trials and tribulations and learning experiences and aha moments that just made it so compelling. It's like you just start pulling this thread, this string, and it keeps getting more interesting, and you keep <laughs> learning, and yeah, you know, and the meat is better it tastes it really is once you know oh yeah this this steak that i'm about to eat or serve you my friend or my family you know it was raised by a person named you know john and he and it's a black angus um cross red angus let me tell you about that breed and it was raised here in washington where grass grows beautifully all year round and and you you know something about it and it's been dry aged for two weeks and Here's how you cook it with a reverse sear. You just feel awesome to be, you know, to have that as the meat that you're putting in your body. Or your the connection. And so, yeah. And so divorced from that, when you go to the grocery store and the people behind the counter literally cannot even tell you what country it came from. There's just no going back. So Nor do they started, care. <laughs> yeah, it's a commodity. You know, the, the, it's a commodity system today. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the proteins, the natural proteins, the most important part of our diet by far to for our health and our, and our, our, our well-being and for taste and the most amount of money you spent for the meal you're going to enjoy is the proteins. But unfortunately, in this country, it's a total commodity. And so, you know, the irony is when you're in the grocery store and you walk by the chocolates 
and the coffees and the wines and the beers and the cheeses and all of these other categories of food that are not commodities anymore. You know, it's no longer craft cheese. It's no longer, um, C R A F T uh, cheese is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's no longer that. And it's no longer, um, Folgers coffee and it's no longer Hershey's chocolate. You've got choices and wonderful varieties to, to enjoy. And butter. And, 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 and you're in butter too. I bought, I just got back from France. So I bought some French butter because it's amazing. Sweet, yes. You know, beautiful butter. I'm like, I love having as a consumer access to all the variety, the craft products. And when you hit the beef counter or the meat counter and the guy behind it can't even tell you what country it came from. <laughs> I'm done. We're done with that. So it was like, we started on this quest, you know, for craft beef and now craft meat because we sell pork and chicken and, and all the rest turkey we've done salmon um, to, to do it where we have 100% transparency. Yes. The name of the person who raised it right there on the packaging. We're the only ones today who do that. So, Joe, you know, I, I love what you've done because you've done for farmers and these people that are doing things the right way. The same thing that I've done on this podcast to give you a, kind of an analogy. There was a bunch of like researchers and doctors that were doing kind of a low carb ketogenic approach, but they didn't really have a platform. Like you said, with these farmers, they don't have websites, a way to get their voice out there. But this show became their way of amplifying that voice. And now CrowdCow is your way of amplifying their voices and get, getting them into the hands of the very consumers they're trying to reach. That's right. That's, that's totally right. It bothers me that what what the world does now, sort of pre-crowd cow, is they they lean on the labels and, and fluffy marketing terms instead of like, hey, let's meet the farmer. What, what are you hiding if you're not willing to put the name of the farm on the package of meat? What are you hiding? Because what we found as consumers getting into this is that the variety and differences between each farm are enormous. And it's very interesting yes. to know, you know, as an example, when we, when our very first farm visit ever, we were driving in and there was a sign along the way that said grass fed beef and it had a phone number. As you often see these ghetto signs in the countryside, you know, <laughs> Oh, I believe um, it. I've been to some of the yeah. local ones here in South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the farms aren't always the best quote unquote marketers, but you know, said grass fed beef. So I asked the farmer that we were visiting, I asked her, I said, hey, that, that sign down the road, you know, down that country road that said grass-fed beef, is that your sign? And she said, no, it's not. And I said, well, can you introduce us to that farm? And she said, well, I don't know if you want that farm's beef. And I'm like, why not? It is, after all, grass-fed beef. Yeah. Said, said so right on the sign. Right. She said, well, if you knew the person raising it and you knew what they were actually feeding the animal, you wouldn't. Because... The thing is, around here in the wintertime, grass doesn't grow. Right. And so if you don't if you don't have enough grass to bale it up for the for this winter, uh, then the animals aren't getting fed enough and you've got to be buying it. And if you're buying it, that's fine. Yes. But if you're not buying it or you're buying poor quality stuff, then it's not gonna taste good or be healthy. And I was like, Wow, how do you know this? Like how do you know I mean that's really interesting to know, first of all, what an epiphany as a consumer just because it says grass fed means nothing. Right. What kind of grass? How much did it eat? Did it have grass in the winter? That's really fascinating. Grass finished or not? Yeah. Exactly. And she told me there are many kinds of grass, by the way. Right. <laughs> like, okay, that makes sense. Um, all logical. But, but how do you know that particular farm down the road in your own community doesn't do it right? And she said, well, because in this community, I've got more grass than cows. And so I'm the one selling the grass around here. Oh, wow. And I was like, and I was like, wow, um, that's great. That's really interesting. So I know that buying from her, I'm, I'm getting cattle that are birthed to harvest on one farm and one pasture with all the natural grass they've got to eat in a surplus that is serving all the other farms in this area. So I've got the, this is the pinnacle for this little, area of the state i'm in, in washington <laughs> i said this is the beef i want and it's a closed herd she explained it's all the same dna they're not buying off at auction and bringing different steers in and things and uh right it's it's doing it like a craft right it's it's like well my great why do you do it this way why do you care so much about having the same breed and growing the uh you know a, a surplus of grass why don't you just put more cows on there and make more money and she's like i don't believe in that because this is my 
grandfather's farm and I'm going to do it the way he intended. And I'm like, wow, perfect. Thank you. This is what I want. This is the beef. (laughs) I want to serve my family. I feel good about it now because I feel good. You've treated the animal well, the environment, the well, your family, the community, that it's healthy, tasty. What more do I want? What more can I possibly ask for? This is craft beef at its finest. So, Joe, I have to ask you, why hasn't this been done before? Why, why did it take you and, and other people that were curious about this? Because this isn't brand new. Food quality has kind of been on the map for many years now. And if you even just trace it back just, you know, 10-ish years ago when the paleo community came around, you would have thought this would have been around with some other uh, establishment. But you guys are the only ones to have this online as an online meat seller that's sourcing 100% of what you're getting from individual farmers. So why do you, why don't you think this has been done before? Yeah. I mean, I think to simplify it's because farms raise animals and consumers purchase steaks. Yes. And so what's in the middle there is a tremendous amount of logistical overhead. And then what's happened is really since the post world war II. Right. We're in a different era. You know, we're post-World War II. The government and society as a whole was saying, how can we get protein to the masses? Right. And, and that mission of getting protein to the masses led to a commodity, a super scale, big ag approach, which is in the many dozens of billions of dollars. So we're talking about just in beef you know, a hundred billion dollars sold in this country each year. Wow. Where, uh, where over 80% of it at this point is, is ultimately served by four companies. Wow. And so super scale, big ag. And even when you have, uh, uh, people sort of going off into specialties of it, like, Oh, this is grass fed or, you know, this is level three sustainable, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> ultimately they're feeding off, they're feeding off this giant supply chain, which is solved the tremendously challenging um, logistics of getting beef slaughtered, cut and wrapped, shipped out uh, safely, right? Yeah. To, to create a supply chain uh, for a perishable product is extremely challenging. And I think that's the primary reason why no one's done it. Now, I think the reason we can do it now is because there's enough demand now. I think people are connecting the dots. They've seen like, you know what? I remember when I was a kid, it was all like Velveeta cheese and Hershey's bars. Ugh, yeah. And I, <laughs> I like, I like the fact that if I want, you know, a, a bean to bar, you know, chocolate for my girlfriend on that Valentine's day that was created three blocks from where I'm standing, you know, it's going to be expensive, but it's going to be delicious. And it has that story to present to her, you know, where I can get one that was produced in, you know, around the world, all in one section of my grocery store that I, as a consumer, am empowered. Like I, when was the last time anybody bought Hershey's? Who, who cares? It's, it's, it's all sugar and it's not even cocoa. Anymore. It's not even really chocolate. You're speaking my it, language, brother. <laughs> the, the, the super scale commodity approach doesn't care about consumer choice and access to variety or quality That's or right. health. That's they right. care about a very, very limited set of parameters. In the case of beef, it's just like, is it, is it grass fed or not? You know, is it prime or choice or select? You know, what's the rough? And that's it. Don't ask questions. And, and, and so the reality is, you know, it can be farmed out and coming from anywhere overseas. When it hits their super scale butcher, it's slaughtered overseas. It's brought over as primals. It's cut into steaks here in the United States. It's labeled product of America, USA. They can do that legally, even yeah. though it was raised and never set foot in America as an animal. Nobody can tell you what farm it didn't matter anyways. When it got to the feedlot mixed around, didn't matter what breed it was at that point. Nobody lost. There was no traceability. No transparency. And so at the end of the day, when it, when it's sold to you, uh, they're going to put whatever stock art photography they want on the sign, and they're going to lean into the commodity labels, whether that's grass-fed, organic, you know, prime, whatever. Buzzwords. And I'll tell you something about organic. This is the best. I was um, Memorial, Day, Memorial Day weekend. I took my wife and, and son, who was seven years old at the time, to a farm in Montana that it was homestead deeded land, literally like over a thousand acres in their family. I mean, just if you go to the the farmhouse and then climb to the nearest hill and look in every direction, nothing but open pastures of uh, grazing land that was Buffalo country back in the day. It's been in their family ever since the Homestead Act. 
I mean, just since forever, never had a chemical on it ever. Right. And yet we're out there uh, replacing, uh, repairing a barbed wire fence, uh, helping them out because you know, they were gracious enough to have us actually stay the weekend, the long weekend, which was beautiful. Nice. And um, they were pulling out the, the wooden fence posts on this section of uh, barbed wire. And he goes, farmer goes, well, I guess this is why we're not organic. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? You're not organic like this. This land has never seen a chemical or fertilizer or anything ever. Right. And it's the most pristine, beautiful, this green flowing grass, these orange Hereford purebred cows, blue sky. This is gorgeous and incredibly unique and so much land. It's so few cattle. It's <laughs> just like gorgeous, uh, incredibly pristine. What, what, what do you mean? This isn't organic. He's like, well, these, these wood posts are treated wood. And if you use treated wood, wood posts, you can't qualify for the organic label for right. beef. And, and I'm like, why not? Is the cow going to like lick the, the post and, <laughs> the and become off. tainted? I don't get it. Uh, he's like, I guess so. You know, well, why don't you just use untreated wood? And he goes, you know, Joe, it snowed 12 feet here last year. They, the, the wood would break down. We'd right. be repla- we'd, to replace these. We'd be chopping down a forest of trees every year yeah. if they weren't tr- treated wood. I'm like, well, I proudly do not want to buy organic beef from your farm. <laughs> if you switch to organic I would not buy it. Yeah. The right thing for you on your farm is to not be organic. And the right thing for consumers is to know your story and, and everything about it and to feel that connection. Organic, be damned. It means yeah. nothing. And, and the thing is, we also know, also from now we're pretty deep in the beef world, yeah. that you, know, you can be raised in a desert climate in Australia, fed in a feedlot grass pellets that are organic – Shipped over to the U.S. as primals, chopped up into steaks, labeled product of the USA, organic beef, grass-fed, grass-finished. Wow. Put a stock art photography on it, anything you want to say on the website. And that's why, if the name of the farm isn't on the beef, you've, you, you've got to doubt it. Because the super-scale, big-ag, commodity approach is rewarding the label, you know, the grade, and that's it. And then they're going to take every other shortcut to get the cost down low so they can sell it to you cheap and make a good profit from it. And, and so it's a really long answer for, you know, why this all matters, but also why it's never been done before. Do you still struggle trying to find a sweetener that fits your ketogenic lifestyle? Then let me introduce you to Swerve. Swerve tastes like sugar and there's no funky aftertaste that you get from all those other high intensity sweeteners. Swerve actually looks like sugar and you may not even realize it, but granular and particle size have a lot to do with how foods feel in the mouth. Because Swerve measures cup for cup just like sugar, it is super easy to use. Swerve has taken away the guesswork on how much to use in your recipes, you simply swap it one for one for sugar. Swerve is the perfect sweetener for baking and cooking, and unlike other sugar alternatives, Swerve browns and caramelizes just like sugar, which means creme brulee and meringues are even possible. The best part is Swerve has very little impact on blood sugar and insulin levels, making it perfect for a diabetic or anyone following a ketogenic lifestyle. Swerve is made from erythritol as well as oligosaccharides, which is a form of prebiotic fiber to help stimulate beneficial bacteria in the intestines. All the ingredients found in Swerve are from the United States and Europe, and Swerve has been in business for more than 16 years. Headquartered in the good old USA in New Orleans, everybody in keto is now using Swerve, and it's your turn too. Go to SwerveSweet.com to find a store near you, and it's also available on Amazon.com. Swerve, the ultimate sugar replacement. Are you having issues with fatigue, the keto flu, or muscle cramping on your ketogenic diet? Then allow me to introduce you to Keto Vitals. They will solve all of these issues. Keto Vitals is a high-dose electrolyte in a pill specifically created for the unique needs of the ketogenic lifestyle. They use only the best ingredients. In fact, their form of magnesium was shown in a double-blind trial to improve insulin sensitivity. Keto Vitals is 100% 
100% guaranteed. If it doesn't work, they will refund your money. Head on over to KetoVitals.com or you can go on Amazon and get free two-day shipping for Amazon Prime members. Use the coupon code KETO1515 both on Amazon and at KetoVitals.com to get 15% off of your order. Keto Vitals. Joe, you are opening so many eyes today, so thank you for that. I will tell you my experience talking to some local farmers because I hang out with them as well because I give a crap about what I put in my mouth, uh, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to the animals. And and so I remember talking to one at a farmer's market, and uh, a bunch of people had USDA uh, certified organic, uh, kind of a little logo next to their booth. And I saw a few did not. So I talked to the ones that did not, the, the one lady's like, look, they make you jump through so many hoops and logistical nightmares. And it, it's just not worth it to them. They are organic, but they just don't want to go through the expense and the red tape that it takes to get certified. That's correct. Yep. What they like to say is we're beyond organic. I'll tell you this. Um, yes, I love it is <laughs> more often than not, the ones that do go to the trouble to certify this or that are the super scale guys. Because, again, in the commodity context of big ag, what sells are these shortcuts. You know, I, I, I like it. I, I don't blame consumers ever because consumers aren't empowered with better choices and, and, and access. And, and so when a consumer's at the grocery store pushing their cart, a three-year-old tugging on their leg, you've got very little time to make decisions and to fill your cart. And so these little labels like organic or cage-free chicken, whatever, you know, are, they give the consumer a little inkling of a hope that it's a better thing and to pay another buck. And, and that's the best that that world's been able to provide. Um, but you've got to be pretty damn big to feed the grocery stores to begin yeah. with. So if you're a small farmer, I'm sorry, you're sl- like my friend's farm, the very first farm I found out about slaughters once a year. We've got a farm in, on a sweetgrass farm. It's the first ever grass finished purebred Wagyu farm in America slaughters twice a year. You know, they're not going to pay to be organic or certified humane or this or that. It's not going to be worth their 2000 bucks here and there to do that. Right. They only have 17 animals per slaughter. Mm. That doesn't make sense. And and nor does the certifier want to drive out there and take the ferry ride and do all the work. <laughs> so the irony is, and I was in another farm in Montana and she was, I was, um, she was raising Wagyu, which is a Kuroge Washu. It's a breed from Japan that was imported to America and it was cut off. They don't import it anymore. And there's these boutique uh, breeders who raise it, beautiful animals that create this marbled beef Wagyu that's known as Wagyu. And she kept, she keeps the horns on them, you know, just like they do in Japan. So I asked her about that. I said, why do you keep the horns on them? That's what they do in Japan. Uh, you know, and, and that's really interesting. Are you doing that just to do it like the Japanese way or whatever? And she's like, no, I do it because, um, it's really inhumane to cut the horns off. And I'm going to go, really? Tell me more. She goes, yeah, when you cut, when you cut the horns off, they really get tripped out. It's a really ugly process. And I I went back to a cat, maybe. (laughs) It's it's bad. I went back to Japan and I said, hey, I noticed you guys never cut the horns off because a lot of American breeds they, in America, they cut the horns off. So I go, I noticed you, you never cut the horns off here in Japan. Well, why is that? And they said, well, it's inhumane. You know, we noticed that, you know, a year old steer that had the horns cut off a year ago would still be kind of twitchy. So we don't do it. Japan doesn't do it. Hmm. I said, well, they're doing it for hum- humane reasons. They want to manage the stress to zero. Because it will create a better beef. Why would you so cut them back. off anyway? I don't understand other than just, I guess, aesthetic so it doesn't get confused as a bull. Safety. I mean, what, what would be the... Safety. Oh, Safety. okay. Hurting the other ones. Yes. If you're out there, yeah, they hurt each other and they hurt you. You can get killed. Wow. Right? If you've got animals that are... The irony is, if you're a small farm with a few animals and you're out there with them all the time, as good farmers are, they, they become close and they're so used to people and you feeding them and caring for them that they're not going to freak out and kill you with their horn. Right. And so, but when you're big enough, <laughs> you can't afford to give them that kind of individual care and attention. Right. And in Japan, it's individual care and attention every four hours they're checking on every animal, you know, kind of crazy level of care because they want the best quality beef. So same in America on a small farm and a bigger farm, you got to cut the horns off or you might die or they might hurt each other. 
Okay. But it's very traumatic. It's inhumane. Okay. So I go back to America. I go back to that farmer and I say, wow, it's, I, I asked the Japanese, they said the same thing. It's for humane reasons. And, and I go, I go, so why don't you get certified humane, this or that? And she goes, same exact answer. She goes, it would cost me an arm and a leg and they won't drive the four hours, you know, two hours down a dirt road to get to my farm <laughs> anyways to audit it. So I think it's a pokey pokey, just pay the money, meaningless thing, because if they don't, you just paying the money, you get the badge on your website and they're never coming to check on it. So what it's, it feels like a sham. Yeah. So yeah, it does. And she goes, she goes, but the, she goes, the farm down the road irony is does pay that fee and they are certified uh, humane and it angers me. And I said, why? She goes, because this last year was a terrible winter and I would drive past, past their farm and look at their calves freezing in the winter because they weren't feeding them enough to stay warm. And I said, and they cut the horns off. Wow. I said, you mean, you mean you can be certified humane and cut the horns off? She goes, yep, they don't care. <laughs> I go, whoa. So I'm like, this is crazy. So there's, you know, these certification programs have their arbitrary requirements that don't work in every locale, every local environment regarding what the local environment is, the local weather, the local breed, the family's history and how they do things a certain way. And then they're charging the money. They don't audit. What's the point? You know, I'm a consumer. I know this farmer. I know how she does it. I know the reasons she doesn't cut the horns off. I know what she's raising. This Wagyu from Japan. I know how rare and special that is. It's out there in Montana. It's 100% grass or grass finished. I've tasted it. It's beautiful. Also homestead deeded land. You know, this has a history. I don't care that it's not organic certified. I don't care that it's not humane certified. I know that it's the most humane and most organic beef that I'll find. And it also is a special Wagyu breed. Proudly serve that to my friends. Tell that story. Booyah. You know, I feel great about it. <laughs> so we're just trying to bring that to people. That deep, It's more about the connection, the transparency than it is yeah. about any of these labels. More often than not, the labels and the stock art photography is your sign that you're getting, you're getting shammed. You know what I love about what you're doing with CrowdCow? A lot of things I love about it. But one of the coolest things is most people walk into a grocery store or even Whole Foods. Let's just go there. Uh, and they see something uh, and it's beef. But they don't understand there's different kinds of beef, which is what you're bringing to the market with the various breeds and craft meat varieties that are out there. Can you talk about the various varieties and how they maybe taste different, maybe some of the nutritional health benefits, uh, differences in them? Sure. Yeah. Well, we all know there are many kinds of beer. We all know there are many kinds of wine. And we know there are differences in the wheats and barleys and the different grapes, the different varieties of grapes, which contribute to that. A cow is much more complicated than a grape. And so the different breeds of cattle metabolize what they eat differently into different flavors, different fats, different proteins. They taste different. And not only that, when they eat grass, quote unquote, there are many kinds of grass. And then there are different kinds of finishes. Well, that's what the, the, the animal may eat towards the end. Now, grass-fed, grass-finished means they had nothing but grass. Grass-fed, grain-finished means at the end they had grain, but there are many kinds of grain. And there's brewer's mash. There's, we have an olive-fed, eating dried olive peels in Japan as oh, part of the finish. Wow. I've and never it heard that. Changes, it changes the chemical composition of the fats I'm and sure. the flavor and the alcohol. And so we're, that's craft meat, we call it. And so, you know, here's what... Here's the warning sign at the grocery store. They don't care about breed. They don't care about feed because, again, at super scale, big egg, it's all the same anyways. If you take any kind of tomato raised on any farm and you put it through the Heinz tomato ketchup finishing process, it's going to taste like Heinz tomato ketchup every single time. Right. It's not going to taste like that, that when you have a really good specialty tomato. You're like, wow, that's amazing. It doesn't matter once they put it through that machine. It's sort of the same thing. Take any breed, put it in a big feedlot, whether it's organic grass-finished grass pellets in Tasmania, as used by some of our competitors online, or a grain-finished in Nebraska or whatever. It doesn't matter what breed came into that feedlot. It's going to come out tasting like the exact same thing. And that's what they want. They want consistency. Right. You know, the, the, the restaurant wants ribeye of a certain size and flavor profile every single time. And from a business so you standpoint, back, that makes sense for continuity. Absolutely. You go back to Big Mac's grill and you get your ribeye, tastes the same every time. What consumers want is to explore the variety that actually is out there of the craft meats. So that would be like 
you know, when I mentioned Wagyu and this incredible marbling, absolutely gorgeous, delicious. That stuff that's raised and finished out in Japan is going to taste different than the 100% purebred Wagyu raised in America. Why? Because it's different grasses, it's different ways of raising them, yeah. it's different grains at the end, different flavors, but it's going to be that gorgeous, highly marbled beef that melts in your mouth, incredibly different from any other breed. You've got a Piedmontese, which is an incredible breed um, that almost no one's heard of, that also has a genetic ability to metabolize its food in a very particular way. It doesn't create as much um, fat. It creates more muscle. Interesting. But but this breed takes its feed, creates like way too much muscle, doesn't ever use that muscle. It's got about a flabby, flabby muscle. Imagine like the they kind of look the cows look all bulbous and puffy. They're really interesting. And so given that, um, and they don't use their muscle, what you get is a very lean yet extremely tender beef. If you took a uh, you know, if you took a New York steak from a Piedmontese and you put it at the grocery store. Um, next to all the other beef types, <laughs> you'd look at it and you wouldn't, you'd be like, don't give me that one. That one's too red. It looks yes. terrible. But I'm telling you, if you knew it was Piedmontese um, and it was fed out correctly and healthy and raised calmly and you cooked it, you'd want to eat that one every day. It it's sounds incredibly like tender. Oh, it's yes, exactly. It's more like that. It's tender, like a flaming young, but also not fatty. So you're just like, what is this? This is incredible. Um, yeah. You can't get enough of it. It's it's like it's such a niche breed. You know, the breeders are all like, "Well, we're doing it because it's an Italian origin breed." You know, you dig far enough in the family history of these breeders, there'll be some reason why it was an Italian breed. So, you know, what's came the fattiest over. breed? Uh, it would definitely be the Kuroge Washu, the Japanese uh, Wagyu breed that, that has a genetic disposition for marbling. That breed, when kept calm and fed a lot, uh, will just create tons more fat. And other breeds and it creates it on the inside of the muscle so it's incredibly marbled and, and uh, fatty yeah that's of interest to the ketogenic dieter because we try to eat more fat less carbs and kind of moderate down on the protein uh which that would be a great option so yeah. those of you that are interested in the crowd cow concept keep in mind if you're looking for the fattier ones to go for the what'd you say the japanese wagyu yeah but make sure you know what you're getting because there's a lot of um again wagyu itself that word is one of these terms that is almost meaningless because people are capitalizing on the association of Wagyu with Japan and Kobe beef, which means a very particular thing. So you got to know what you're getting. There's, there's the most popular uh, Wagyu when you see it on a menu is going to be an Angus crossed with Wagyu breed with an unspecified percentage of Wagyu DNA, Kuroge Washu. Well, we sell, we sell that crossbreed. We also sell purebred. We also sell stuff from Japan. We sell grass fed, grass finished purebred Wagyu from America. We sell grass-fed, grain-finished, purebred A5 Wagyu from Karagoshima, Japan. We sell all of it, but always tell you exactly what you're getting. Yes. And so tremendously different price points and different flavors. You can get it all directly. You guys, on if you go to crowdcow.com slash low-carb show, you'll get a discount um, off your first order. $25 off. Um, that's right. But that Wagyu is amazing. I'll tell you, we took an A5 Wagyu brisket. That's the high- Raised in Japan, Kuroge Washu, raised and harvested in Japan, the highest grade of, of it, which is A5, from Kagoshima, which is the region that had the highest score last year at the Wagyu Olympics. So the, the, the pinnacle of incredible Japanese beef, the higher, higher rated than would qualify a Kobe beef in Japan. So we took that, took the brisket to Austin, Texas, and we yeah. took it to La Barbecue, La Barbecue which is yes. amazing. Uh, and we gave them two big briskets, and they put it in their smoker. First time Wagyu, real Wagyu has ever been in there. And one of the things they did, it was really fascinating. They trimmed some of the fat off the outside just to get it in shape. And they were eating the raw fat. Yes. <laughs> and I, I said, do you ever eat the raw trimmings? Like They're like, nope. But like they're just so curious about it. They're like, this is, the fat is so different because it'll melt in your fingers. It melts at body temperature. They're like, it's so weird. It's like melting and it tastes good. And they were eating the fat off the cooked brisket too. And just eating it where they would normally, they said, no, normally you would, you would peel that off and toss it here. They were eating it. They were taking the fat trimmings and just cooking them independently. I'll tell you like the fat quality of the Wagyu, which is much higher in the healthy, um, omega fatty acids and oleic acids, but as a breed, it generates, it metabolizes into more of these healthy oleic acids than other breeds do is, 
I think is something of interest to the keto community. Yeah. And I was going to go there um, and and ask about what the various health benefits are, because you still have people that are in this keto world uh, that I live in, and they're not seeing the value in adding in quality foods like what we're talking about here today, especially when it comes to the animal-based foods that they're consuming. Um, so make the argument for why they should. Well, I mean, I think let's let's examine in turn, right? So salmon, right, is a very high-quality um, food, right, in terms of the health properties. It metabolizes to some really good fats that are good for you, right, if you're on a keto diet, et cetera. However, salmon from Chilean salmon farms, uh, it uses the highest quantities of, of antibiotics in those farms Ew. of practically any agriculture process. And that stuff gets drained off into the local ecosystem and is doing devastation to those ecologies. So if you're at the grocery store and you see some salmon and they can't tell you where it came from, you might be supporting that, even though yeah. you think you're buying healthy. So where do you need, you need to know where it came from? Down to the boat that, that, that fetched it and where they fetched it from. Not only that, was it overfished or not? That's, this is, that's why you need to know. Let's take chicken. Overfished, chicken, what does that mean? That means illegally fished in an area where they're pulling too many fish out of the ecosystem. Ah, gotcha. Should be. Yeah. Um, again, something very hard to regulate when they're so far offshore, out of sight, out of mind. And you got to trust your purveyor, right? And so, again, when you've lost that transparency and that connection, and you've lost that, you may be inadvertently contributing to that horrific side effect of depleting our ocean's natural resources or antibiotic runoff for the farm stuff. So wild-caught or farm-raised, either way, you need to know the boat that picked it. Second, let's take chicken. Chicken has basically been tortured if, if you are eating it, yep. unless you know the chicken farm that is raising it and that they're committed to pasture raised chicken. Yes. And, but the real reason to eat pasture raised chicken is that once you've eaten it, you got to pay a lot more for it. I'm sorry to say yeah. it is more expensive, and but it is worth it. I'll tell you my, my wife came home and I'd cooked a whole chicken for a video I was doing. And she goes, she didn't know what the video I was making was a very special one, which I'll tell you about in a minute. She ate it and she goes, wow, this is good. How did you cook it? <laughs> and I go, I go, I'm glad you asked because here's what I did. I took the whole chicken and I rubbed salt and pepper on it and then I put it in the oven. Something magical. That's all I did. <laughs> Literally, that's all I did. And that was the point of the video. The point of the video was to show when you start with a high quality ingredient, I mean, yes. transformatively life-changing, better ingredient, chicken that's been pasture raised by one of these small food. It is Night and why would you ever eat the the stuff that's been bred for big breasts and all this crap? Like right. you just again, it's sold to check a box. I want my healthy white meat check. I want my organic check. Yep. Chicken, and it tastes bad. Yeah. <laughs> Take one of these, and they taste good. And you're like, why would I ever eat the bad tasting stuff? I I, I spent five bucks on the bad tasting stuff, and I got zero dollars of value. I got 15 bucks in the good tasting stuff and it's and impressed all my friends and I had a brilliant meal. So Joe, I Let's have a similar story to that because I have 26 backyard chickens myself and we uh -huh. get beautiful eggs from them. But uh, mm -hmm. when we first got them home, we had a three-year-old chicken who was already older than most of the time when they're, they're egg laying. And so at some point she stopped laying and I said, okay, I found out who's winner, winner chicken dinner for the first time. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, we had that process and uh, we gave it to a family in need and she uh, fed it to her husband who had seen the chicken in our backyard. So we call mm -hmm. the, the chicken big birds. <laughs> he, he mm -hmm. did, he never has known that that was big bird that he ate but he made the comment wow this was the best chicken i've ever had yeah not knowing yeah. that it was a good quality uh right. pasture raised chicken i mean that's the point salt and pepper into the oven best chicken you ever had yeah i mean it's not about how you cooked it i mean i'm sure you can take it to another level with some cooking skills too right but mind-blowingly great i cannot eat chicken anywhere else except for the stuff that we've sourced from our farms because it's just not worth the money to throw away on stuff that doesn't taste good. And most likely came from basically a tortured process. I was live, you know, a lot of people think about, they don't want to think about the animal being raised and then eating it. But I was live streaming with the farmer who raised my chicken as I was preparing to cook it. Very Portlandia, 
But I'll tell you what, like that guy who raised that chicken cares so much about what went into it and, and that it was raised right, had a good life and it was healthy and it's healthy for the ecosystem, his community, the healthy and taste of the meat. Like, why not? Why not have that connection? Yeah. So pork, bringing us to pork. We've covered seafood. We've covered um, chicken. Beef, yeah. Beef is the same. We've covered um, pork. Pork's the same. Pork is like holy mackerel. The difference <laughs> between a heritage, heritage breed pork raised right and uh, and one in your grocery store is just night and day. I thought you were going to say holy what? cow for a pig. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, why would you ever? I mean, I eat bacon a lot. Yes. Um, no nitrates. It's a staple in the keto communities. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, why would you ever eat the crappy mystery bacon in the store? Not only that, but the, they're not going to advertise on there that they've got the cancer-causing things added to it. They're going to, I mean, when it's small batch and it's using celery salt as its preservative and it's smoked naturally, it's, and it's so much more delicious. Just yeah. let's enjoy bacon and have it taste good and, and let's support a farm that is committed to doing all the right things right. and isn't afraid to hide anything. You know, what are, they, what are they hiding if they're not telling you uh, in full transparency who they are even? Um, so pork and bacon. Oh, incredible. Love it. Yeah. So, Joe, one thing we haven't talked about uh, that's the other parts of the animal. Do you sell offal along with the muscle meats that you have? We do. We sell everything, um, everything in there. And, you know, heart is one where it's yes. like it, it sounds gross to a lot of people. <laughs> no, you know? it's beautiful. How, Ever, it is delicious and it is Liver as well. uh, healthy, very healthy. It's packed with the really good vitamins. Um, it's a muscle. Muscles are what you're eating with meat. It's a beautiful thing. Tongue is beautiful. I've had a little, beef you know, tongue at my, you my su- local farmer. He sold me one for two bucks because nobody would buy it. Nice. Nobody um, wants to buy that. But I'll it's buy delicious. it. It's, it. I can make, uh, what was that? Lingua, taco lingua? Lingua. Yeah. Taco lingua. You know, it's a staple in uh, Japanese or Korean barbecue, which yes. I do a lot at home. Uh, you know, it, my point about offal, especially like liver, the liver is yes. the body's cleansing organ. And it's also That's a multivitamin there. <laughs> you know, my, my, my grandma, you know, told me it was healthy, but I'm not going to eat the liver from an animal that was raised in a stressful way. Oh no. Fed for getting a label or a grade in a commodity system. I'm going to eat the liver of an animal raised by a guy I know the name of raising it in a craft way because that liver probably is going to be healthier, <laughs> like pretty yes. intuitive. So the reason to buy, especially with an offal um, and know where it came from, this is one reason. Yes. So what's the most interesting offal that you've had? Gosh. Well, I mean, it, the funny thing is um, – I mean, interesting would be like stomach and, and intestines. Yeah. That's <laughs> horrible. Have you had but I'm, pig I'm just. Ears? I have not had pig ears. Or pig ears. snout? I have. I might have. I might, you know, I've been in Japan many times where they, they have restaurants devoted to these. Yes. Um, the other parts. And was, <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times you're eating and enjoying not knowing what you're eating. <laughs> it's um, not asking questions. <laughs> but definitely the big intestine, little intestine, stomach, all that I've had many yes. times, especially in Japan. We don't sell all that stuff all the time. You can't um, sell a lot of the parts like intestine without very specialized equipment under USDA, which a lot of the small, um, all of the processors we work with are small and they don't have that equipment. So something that's more still on the radar um, right. for us. Yeah. So what about lard and tallow and some of the other parts that would come from animals? Do you sell that as well? Yeah, we do. We can't, we sell, we sell that. We can't sell enough of that. I'm that sure. Yeah. Is, Especially well, with it's, fat yeah. being the biggest selling thing in, uh, you know, everybody and their mama's got a fat something nowadays. And so it seems like that yeah. would be hard to keep on the shelves. Yeah. I mean, let me ask you this. If we took the, if we uh, rendered it down to a tallow and sold it as a tallow, is that something of interest to the keto community? Oh, yeah. I mean, any healthy fat that would come from well-sourced animals, lard's kind of mm-hmm. got uh, a, a lot of positive uh, play, as has butter, obviously, and coconut oil mm-hmm. and all the other kind of healthy fats. But tallow is yeah. one. I went to Australia, and they were the ones, that, hey, Mike, you need to try this tallow. And I'm like... We don't have tallow like readily available in America. I just don't think enough Americans know enough about it. But if they did, they would add it quick. Yeah, there's an education and an opportunity 
in that. I think we, we definitely just at crowd cow, um, especially with the Wagyu, because you cook Wagyu, you know, right on a, a hot, uh, stainless steel grill with no oil because yes. it's got so much fat in the meat. Yes. That it, you put it on there, it will immediately sweat out all this oil, this beautiful, clear, uh, oil. And so if you're cooking for, you know, four or five people, you'll, you start to collect the oil, you know, you pour it into a, a cup or something. Cause because it's like liquid gold. And then you, what mama did yeah. with the bacon grease growing up. So, Oh my goodness. <laughs> you, you just take anything and saute any vegetable in that. And it's yes. like, you take any child, this is how good it is. Take a kid who refuses to eat any vegetables, then saute any vegetable in Wagyu oil. Yes. And then the kid will be like, they will devour like it. Candy. Yes. Like candy. It is not good. And bone That's broth wrong. is another yeah. one. Uh, do you guys sell the bones oh, yeah, for yeah. people to make their own broth? We do. Yeah. Yeah, we do. See, guys, they everything at Crowd Cow. They, they've thought of literally everything. So I have had people for years, uh, Joe, wanting to have a company like yours. So thank you for creating Crowd Cow and having the vision for this. And I do think you struck at a good time. I mean, keto is the hottest uh, movement right now when it comes to nutritional health. And so people are looking for more healthy protein options, more healthy fat options. They're eschewing the carbohydrates, which most of what you sell doesn't got it yep. anyway. So. Nope. No. So, so I'm really happy that you're out there doing your thing. Again, you guys, Joe Heitzberg is his name. Check him out uh, and CrowdCow at crowdcow.com slash low carb show. And that's an exclusive link for listeners here. And you'll get $25 off of your first order if you use that link. Well, Joe, thanks so much for joining us here today on the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Living La Vida Low Carb, this show is changing lives. We talking about your diet, trying to get you feeling bright. Cut up them avocados, fry some eggs, time to explore. The longest running health podcast, hosted by Jimmy Moore. Time to give up the crappy garbage, we're getting into ketosis. Every day is a new step to your goal, yeah, you're getting closer. Motivated and focused, don't stop, just go. Time to get inspiration from the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. Hey, the Living Low Carb Show. Disc O.